And we're live? We are awesome. live. We're all live. All right. Excellent. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another night talking and shooting the shit. And uh, for those that don't know, shooting the shit is basically, that's exactly what it is. It's shooting the shit with people in the industry, in the craft industry, uh, distillers, both uh, in Australia and also international. So tonight we've got a very, very special guest and I'll introduce uh, Peter in a second, but we'll just go around the room first and just introduce the Shooting the Shit team, which is a team. We've got our own T-shirts now, apparently, and we've got our own beer coasters. So uh, local nerd. Uh, (laughs) So we've got below me is uh, a good friend of mine, Todd. Todd Pointer, the Todd, my right-hand man in the shed. Todd, how's it going? Going good. A bit wet here, but yep. apart from that, can't complain. Good. Yep. Well, it's it's weather for penguins here with, with uh, wetsuits. It really is. Yeah. It's so wet. And then we got Luke, local nerd. He holds Hello. this whole thing together. I pressed the button. Press the button. Without <laughs> Luke, we'd be looking at uh, blank screens. You do it so well. Yes. <laughs> I've got a okay. really good pressing finger. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to, bear with me two seconds, because I want to read something which is very important. So, my phone will work. My work, work, work. So, um, the person we're introducing is Peter Bignall from Belgrove Distillery. And I probably don't need to even introduce Peter because he is iconic on the Australian scene. He is known as being just a bloody nice guy. He'll help any distiller, wannabe distiller. And uh, today I was uh, having a bit of a conversation with Bill Owens uh, in the US. Bill headed, created the American Distillers Institute and featured very heavily in the craft spirits movement. And quote unquote from Bill, Peter is a pioneer. He inspired many distillers, etc., etc. the best. So, Peter, how are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, thanks, Craig. Yep, <clears throat> all good. Excellent. So, you're um, you're in your distillery. Um, a second ago, you swung the camera around. Can you do that again and just show what, what's around you right now? I just want to watch out. I don't knock any glasses over here. So, yep. that's where the little tasting bar when visitors come here. Uh, yep. A lot of the products lined up along the top there. Around there, that's another room a bit further back there with some barrels in there. Nice. Um, what, else, what else have I got to go back the other way? There's um, a little, um, on, on the fridge there, you can see a couple of barrels there burning, so I, I refurbish uh, most of my own barrels. Yep. There's um, yeah, a lot of samples that I've got from yeah, basically all around the world. Of, um, I call that my, um, my self, self-education. So I've got to train myself, train my palate um, with whiskies from yeah, all over the place. Uh, it's a hard job, but someone's got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's just in this room we're in. This distilleries divide up into quite a lot of different rooms. Um, yeah, but that's just the one I'm in at the moment. Right. Hey, Crafty, okay. can we get a room like that one? Uh, <laughs> well, Peter Bignall's distillery was one of the very first distilleries that I um, I visited. And uh, it was very inspirational because it makes it makes you think. It makes you go away and go, shit, I could have a crack at that. 
perhaps. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Anyway, yeah, let's, uh, let's... Visitors, yeah, visitors here over the years have yeah, been inspired. Yeah, quite a few of them have. And uh, I know there's two in the UK, one in Ireland and another one in in um, in England that have, uh, when they visited here, they rushed off home and built themselves distilleries, uh, which had no intention, I think, of doing that before they came here. <laughs> well, let's let's go back to the beginning, Peter. Let's go right back to the beginning. So before you had your distillery and you were a, a distiller and you even had the dream of it, what what was the spark that got you into it? Um, I guess the, the, the tiny bit of a spark was uh, Nant. Um, I got a job there. I'm, I'm pretty handy. I'm a bit of engineering buff and... Um, I got a job there restoring the old flour mill, the old water-driven flour mill, which they wanted to do their gristing with the old millstones yep. and use the old mill as, as a um, tourist attraction and you know, for, for customers to come and have a look around. And um, yeah, while, while I was there, you know, I, I, I had no interest in whiskey distilling at all at that stage. And uh, I met Bill Lark and a few others in the industry. And um, sort of towards the end of the project, they started to install the stills and I just got rather intrigued because, you know, way back further, I've, you know, I've got a, um, ag a agricultural science degree, so I did a lot of chemistry and food technology and things like that. And um, and, and I realised, well, actually, I know the basic science behind making whiskey, that you know, I didn't know the art of it. And at the end of the project, um, I actually got offered a job as distiller there at Nant, and um, I thought about it for a couple of weeks, and I thought, no, no I've got a farm to run. Um, I don't want to muck about with distilling. It's just, you know, working for somebody else mainly. So I just came back home, home on my own farm and um, yeah, chugged away there for another couple of years. And then um, what really yeah, the light bulb moment was that um, I've grown, since I was a teenager, I've actually grown grown rye grain, rye corn. Um, the rye, we usually grow it for the feed. It grows huge amounts of green feed in very poor soil and doesn't need much irrigation. And um, we were growing for the green feed, and every every few years we'd harvest some grain off it to plant back in the ground again. And uh, anyway, one one oh, going back just very slightly, it's a little bit more of an intriguing story. The um, during the those early days of growing rye, the local agriculture department gave me a little bag of uh, my brother and I a little paper bag of uh, rye grain that was a new variety. The old variety we used to have wasn't um, wasn't all that productive, and this new variety was you know, quite a bit more productive. So. So I, um, my brother and I, we planted it and sowed it by hand in our back garden. Then um, the first year of the seed, we ha harvested it by hand and thrashed it and tossed it up in the air in the wind to get, get all the chaff out of it. And, and then we planted a bigger area the next year and bigger area, and I've just sown thousands of acres with it since then. So yeah. that's all the rye I use these days. But anyway, um, a couple of years after, after Nant, um, I, I had a really good crop of rye grain and instead of just harvesting a little bit for myself, I decided to harvest the whole lot and sell it. Um, another business I had at the, on the side at the time was growing strawberry plants, strawberry runners. They're just the plants, right. not the fruit. And I used to sell that um, all around Australia to fruit growers and nurseries and a little bit of export. Um, but one of the chemicals, the fumigant I was using got banned and basically put me out of business. And almost at that same time, I had this bumper crop of rye grain. So I thought, oh, well, I can't sell strawberry plants, I'll sell all this rye grain and I harvested it all and bagged it all up and couldn't find anyone who wanted to buy it. It was a bit late getting it on the market and there was a bit of a glut that year because the, the other season was really good and um, I couldn't sell it. And I wondered what everyone's going to do with all this grain. I thought, oh no, I'll build a whiskey distillery and make rye whiskey because everybody else is making malt whiskey. 
and uh, yeah, so that that was it. That uh, surplus rye grain that was what really yeah, triggered it. Hmm. So where did wow. so, so after you made the decision to do it, where and and you said you've got an agricultural background, food science, and all that, but did you talk to the likes of uh, Bill and 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 Casey and and you know, some of the earlier guys, the first waivers to you know, understand what what was involved to put a distillery together, or did you just go? I'll have a go and see where it goes. Um, yeah, look, I, I talked to them, but they were all making malt whiskey. So, um, so what I learnt from them, I, I tried to make rye whiskey using exactly the same techniques. And and rye is terrible; you can't allow yeah. it. This for those who don't know whiskey making. Yeah, you've got to separate the the husk from the from the sugar that you make. And uh, rye just does not work. The same with when I've done oats; it just doesn't work. And um, yeah, we've struggled away there for years, and um, yeah, before we find and tried a lot of different techniques, till we finally worked out how to how to separate the husk from the from the yeah the words. But um, yeah, so yeah, they were certainly a help and an inspiration, but the actual technique they weren't, weren't much help to me. Uh, but I just muddled along myself, you know, being a very practical farmer. You know, you work things out, and having that science degree, it, it sort of helps helps a lot to basically yeah. work out what might work and what might not. But you're you're also you're incredibly hands-on, and and yeah, you, know, you talk to people that visit you, and they see converted clothes dryers. They see, uh, I, I saw you showed me a still that you built out of a, a teapot, and it was like, where does this come from? I mean, you're called the Mad Professor for a very good reason. <laughs> it was a bit. It was a bit bigger than a teapot. It was a, you know, an urn, urn, just a yeah, fifteen litre. Well, it was an urn, urn then. Okay, I'll give you that. Probably ten litre urn, and they built a little continuous still out of that. It was a continuous one, and um, yeah, that was a terrific little thing. It's still, I haven't run it for a while, but that had stripped four hundred litres of wash a day. That little thing, and only running on one kilowatt. It was amazing. Wow, uh, that's incredible. <laughs> um, before we go much further, we we actually skipped the step. So when we start this. Uh, shooting the ship, we always say to people, you know, everyone at home, please drink Australian and, and enjoy Australian, and we're enjoying Australian as well. So, what's in your glass, Peter? What are you drinking right now? Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of my ethics these days is, uh, well, always has been no, no waste, minimal waste, just don't waste anything. And actually, yep. this is a distilled beer, it's an IPA. Um, one of our sons has got a brew pub, T Bone, down at yep. Hobart, and yep. uh, one of his early batches with his current brewery, he, um, he wasn't happy with it, so he's very, very fussy. So I said, "Don't, don't dare throw it out." So I got it and I distilled it. And um, but that's uh, probably about the third or fourth lot I've distilled from little craft breweries around the place. That I got a whole lot of kegs once that went out of date, and um, you just distill them, and it's amazing the flavours you get from it because it is, it is whiskey because it is made from malted barley and it is yeah. fermented. It's just that it had um, had hops added instead of smoke. That's the only difference. And um, it's it's interesting when you distill beer, though, isn't it? With the hops, you know, sometimes you can get a bitterness, and you hear stories of people say you got residual oils left in the still, which can can contaminate. But I know quite a few people that, that are doing beer and go, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh, I, I don't find any bitterness. You know that the, the, the no. chemistry of the boiling things. You know that the hop oils they don't they don't boil over until you get. Um, yeah, they just don't boil over at 100 degrees or less. So, so you're drinking that. Um, I'm drinking tonight uh, Snowy Mountain Spirit. 
So uh, Mark Newton's uh, independent bottling, and he sent me a, a couple of uh, wee sneakies. I got an Apera cast, a bourbon, a bourbon Apera, and so I'm going to try the bourbon, 54.7%. That's what's in my glass tonight. So yeah, he's got. Yeah, I've done a bit of spirit for him, so some of my spirit will be coming out from him one of these days. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I remember that now. And uh, we've okay, uh, Mark's actually online as well. Yes, I saw that there. Get there, Mark. Yeah, yeah, very excited. There's a lot of very excited people tonight. That's good. <laughs> so, Luke, what's in your glass, mate? What are you drinking? And you're not in your office. You're you're. I'm, down in I'm not in my office. That's right. I'm down in country Victoria. Uh, in visiting a forest. family you're in for a the forest. week. Yeah, I'm in my mum's creative studio, so it smells <laughs> like a florist, most certainly. Um, and yeah, it's it's a lot more floral than my office. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually I because I brought my dad. He's a avid whiskey lover as well, and I brought him down a whole heap of uh, wee samples of the various bottles that I've got at home. So I don't have the bottle, but I have a little thingo, a little sample, uh, and I'll put up on the screen. That's what I'm drinking. Uh, King Lake. King Lake, which is just a cracking drop. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. There you go, Peter. No, sorry, a bit slow. Yep. <laughs> I saw you whack the glasses on there. <laughs> um, yeah, so the King Lake Distillery, uh, the single malt, um, absolute cracker. Uh, yeah. it's just doing such amazing music. things. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So, so for those who don't know, that's uh, Sam and Chantel Daniels down in Victoria. Um, they're experimenting with grains. They're using a lot of base malt uh, and roasted malts and peated malt. So straight out of the gate, no mucking around, going straight down that line mm. um, and building some pretty complex uh, full flavours and whiskies for sure. Oh, and so, for 100 bucks, it's an absolute bargain. Yeah, oh. true. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, um, they're definitely uh, they're, they're I'm just selling price, themselves. Right? I reckon. <laughs> okay. Well, while, we, while we're talking about drinking other people's whiskies, our Australian whiskies, there's, there's so many of us about now, and yeah. I just well, I just end up with too much whiskey if I bought a full bottle of everybody. We all need to I do <laughs> more bottles to trade yeah. with each other. Yeah. I know we've got some of Crafties and, and we've got a few I've traded, yes. But um, we're only a small bottles. So I don't need – I've got thousands of litres here of whiskey I can drink. I don't need – I don't need volume, but it's enough to taste. So we need to sort of sort ourselves well, out for little tasting packs we can trade with each other. I found these little 200ml bottles that I use to uh, send down to my dad. And yep. they're brilliant. It, it is just slightly more than half a bottle. Uh, or slightly under half a bottle, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and even if it's a 500 mil, I still have a bit left over for my own enjoyment. Um, but yeah, having, having that small bottle and being able to share it, I think that's the spirit of of, of craft, really, isn't it? Yes. One of, yeah. One of the things with, with um, what, what Peter's also uh, referring to as well is um, distillers like to try each other's products. Right? Indeed. We don't buy each other's products because a it's a lot of money, and b as Peter said, you, you just have all these bottles um, yeah. and you wouldn't get through them. So like a little fifty mil sample going backwards and forwards, it works well, doesn't it, Peter? You, you get to try other people's other people's um, whiskies and and spirits in general. So yeah, yep. 
Okay, I'm quite uh, happy for everyone to send me larger samples than 50 Larger dollars. samples. Large, Todd wants larger samples. <laughs> oh, not Todd. Luke wants larger samples. Todd, finally, what do you got, mate? What are you drinking? Anything? I am drinking Pachuca. Ooh. Yeah, okay. All right. You guys are so, making really the, good agave. And this thing. All right. For those $125 know, a bottle. It is fantastic. It is very, very special. So for those that don't know, Black Snake is a New South Wales distillery in Narrabri. It's a husband and wife team, uh, Stephen and Rosemary. Very, very, very interesting people. Know their stuff. Very technical, very humble, and very quirky, like a lot of Australian distillers. Very, very quirky. Um the spirit is amazing what they're making. So it's agave spirits. The pachuga, which the one that Todd's referring to, in Mexico they make a product, which I learned this from Rosemary, uh, pachuga, they, they make it and they, they stick a chicken in the still. And so they're trying to pull some chicken flavours. I imagine the chicken's dead. Um, so you would hope. So. You would hope. <laughs> well, it is yeah. by the end of the distillery. Well, it's Mexico, so, you know, who knows? Um, but here they do it with kangaroo. So um, very, very different. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting spirit, isn't it? So that's oh, a hop whiskey then, isn't it? it is. So, yeah? Hop, a, um, yeah, tequila, hop tequila. Hop tequila, kangaroo. yeah, exactly. They should put <laughs> that on the label. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Rosemary's watching. She'll love that. <laughs> 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 that's great alright let's drop. get back um, okay I just want to hit Peter with a couple of questions and then Luke if you want to ask you and then Todd get ready for your 20 seconds of fame my friend just prepare yeah. prepare <laughs> um, Peter Dr. Google right now <laughs> yeah start googling yeah so I, I when I started I was very much Started from a Scotch background. Um, you know, I love Scotch, and I under, started to understand distillation and the whole Scottish approach and what they do with with malts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But over the years, I've gravitated more and more to the American approach to, to making whiskey. I personally find it more exciting, progressive, but um, and I'm interested to know. Because I, I talk to Australian distillers and they know you and they know what you're doing. So would you say you're more more going down the line of scotch or you, you just like to try anything? And the American style is quite interesting. What's, what's happening in America? Yeah, yeah well, def, definitely not scotch style because I'm doing, doing rye and, and oats. Yeah, straight away, yeah. and, and, um, and barley grain that's not 100% malted, you know, more like Irish. Oh, look, it's just a mixture of everything. And I'm doing yep. a little bit of malt whiskey right at the moment, but that's not certainly not my main line. Um, I, I got a lot of help in the early days from America. Actually, I, I rang um, Fritz Maytag, who's from uh, Old Potrero. In, I think oh, they're in... Yeah, um, yeah I, rang, I rang him originally because I was having trouble getting him a yield up and he was making a rye, 100% rye. So I had a chat, a little bit of a quick chat to him and um, find out trying to pick his brains a bit. This is right back in the early days. And um, anyway, he, he put me on to Bill Owens. And then I joined the um, ADI, the American Distilling Institute. Yeah. got on one of their online, on their online forum. 
and um, yeah, learned a heaps from that. And you know, for the first few years there, I was learning and learning and learning, and well, I still am. But um, then after a while, I just started helping other people out as well, giving back to, to that that forum. It, I'm actually one of the top posters on that forum, so probably I learned a lot from that. And and not yeah. not necessarily, you know, someone gives me some advice, but just by discussing things, you know, I, I sort of work it out myself. Um, something you ask a few questions, you get a few comments, and then it's suddenly, oh, I, I, I think I know how I might do this or whatever. But yeah, I certainly had some very good advice over the years from that from that forum. That's fantastic. Probably not much good that forum for people who want to make the, the, the single malt whiskey because there aren't very many single malt producers on there. Um, but yeah, if you want to do any, anything sort of other than single malt, then uh, the, that, that was a great help to me. The whole the whole single malt thing in in America, though, is, 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 as I'm sure you know, is really taking shape they're they're right on the verge of actually standardizing what is what is the requirements to make an american single malt whiskey and it, it, it's a, a category it will be a category in its own right um which is quite an evolution really isn't it from from where they were previously yeah i think so all right um okay so in australia what think think back when you first started and and what the australian craft distilling industry was like and compare it to where we are now and what what would be some of your major observations before and now oh dear um (laughs) um yeah well there were very very few about there was a I think just just from what I remember, there was Starwood and Lime Burners on the mainland. There was probably a couple of other ones, other two I sort of knew of at that time, and and there were uh, half a dozen other ones here in Tassie. I think I was the seventh one here in Tasmania, and um, and and that was it. And it was it was in some ways it was sort of nicer back then. There were just you just knew everybody, and yeah. and you knew the whole industry. But these days you just no no hope of knowing everybody. You know, you just yeah. We, you get to know a few, but there's a lot there. Yeah, I don't personally know, which is it. Yeah, you know, I love these industries I've been in mucking about in over the years. I've you know, swapped around a fair bit over the years, but um, you get to know a lot of people in the industry, and that's what I, I a big part of what I enjoy about being in the industry. It's not it's not just about making money, but it's it's about enjoying yourself and meeting people, and um, all these different industries I've been in over the years, I've yeah, met, met a lot of people. And um, like I said, in the early days, I sort of almost knew almost everybody. But, uh, yeah. It's got a little bit more impersonal these days. Um, but, yeah, and it was a little bit more fun back then too because it was a little bit more by the seat of your pants sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, and, and, you know, doing everything on an absolute shoestring budget, that um, I think the days of that's gone. I agree. I, I agree. I, I actually think... Um, yeah, you know, I, I actually think I, I'm one of the last smell of an oily rag distilleries. You know, secondhand pumps, hoses that connectors are all different. And nowadays, you you just don't see that. It, it's it's gone the way that um, craft brewing's gone. Craft craft brewing, you sort of banged it together with bits and pieces. But now, anyone who's doing a craft brewery, they're starting with brand new equipment, specs specifically for for the job. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely changed. Yeah, yeah, my one of one of my sons, I was saying, T Bone. He's yeah, he started out his brewery, but he's he's very fussy. He doesn't like any secondhand stuff, and even now they're going to find him something that's good. Oh, why don't you use this? Don't use that secondhand. No, no, no. He wanted all new stuff, and 
but he's actually building a, building another big big brewery now. Yeah, he had the yeah. little one in the middle of Hobart, and um, yeah, he just started building a big one. But yeah, I found him beautiful. He, he almost unused heat exchanger. No, no, no. I can see rust spots on it. It's no good. <laughs> no, 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 all brand new stuff. But the I, old I think... stuff has character. It's got character. Yeah, it's got flavour built into it. Yes, of course it has. Yeah, no, no. He wants total control of what he's, he does. He doesn't want flavour built into anything. He he wants to total control of the flavour. Whereas I'm almost the opposite. Yeah, no. It's uh, when you when you've got old equipment and bits and pieces, and you, you got to pull it together and make it work. It's it's a very different setup. Yeah, it is a bit of a pain in the bum sometimes when things go wrong. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I love, I love fixing things, but every now and again I think, oh, gee, I wish all this had run so smoothly. <laughs> Where's the challenge in that, though? Exactly. That's right. Yeah, you had a breakdown here. We had a breakdown here a few weeks ago. I've got a um, the mash stirrer. Was um was was from Tom, my son. He he decided he didn't need the mash stirrer, in, 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 um, so so he gave it to me. I helped him out a bit. He said, "Oh, you have the mash stirrer, but gee, it was a noisy, rattly thing." And anyway, the, yeah, a few weeks ago, it just the gearbox in it crapped itself. So that was the end of that. We had to finish stirring it by hand, and uh, we ended up losing half half the. It just went no. off half the brew. But and then then the next day, I I actually used a belt press to separate the the uh, solids from the liquid. And uh, the yeah. damn belt split the next day. So there was yeah, $1,500 for a new motor and stir and another $2,000 for a new belt for the belt press. <laughs> and then half, half a batch lost. So it was a very expensive couple of days. Yeah, wow. Well, new, new stir right from the start instead of the second-hand one. We might have got through without at least without losing the half the run. Yeah. I guess that's the trade-off, isn't it? You... you, you when when margins can be so tight anyway making that investment in in new equipment can be a little difficult to justify whereas you can get something cheap and go yeah that's that'll work i can make that work but there is that slight risk it does give you that sort of seat of your pants feeling doesn't it oh yes yeah because if you lose if you lose a whole batch then you really work it out to you know three years down the track how many thousands of dollars that would have been more mm. whiskey you would have had you think oh dear it might only be you know about three or four thousand dollars today but geez you probably forty fifty thousand dollars in a Best few life. years time <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, don't, think current, don't think of the future think about today yeah that's that's what well, one of the questions i get asked and uh, i'd like to hear your comments on it, peter is you know everything goes into a cask into a barrel so all that hard labor that sweat and tears goes into the barrel and then the barrel goes onto a rack and then you pull it down down the track and, and you release it but barrels can leak barrels can weep barrels can move um peter how do you what do you do with your barrels do you do you have a system where you, you're basically checking every barrel at a, at a set time or is it a case of you walk past and it doesn't look right so better better investigate that further yeah um no, yeah we, we we try to put them in a place where you can watch them all the time um yeah. we don't have any particular routine but then there's probably stuff here that i haven't looked at for ages um that's just sort of literally tucked out of the way 
and uh, we haven't had many problems. I, I think over the, in the 11 years, we've only had two that have had had serious leaks. We haven't lost a lot, but only two two out of in 11 years. And both of them, of course, they leaked down the back against the wall where you couldn't see them anyway. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So I stacked them away from the wall a bit further now, so at least you get your phone torch down there and, and have a peer and see if it's all right. I had, I had that last week. My uh, Andrea, Mrs. Crafty, was in the shed. And she said, look at this. And I go, what? And it was a stain down the back wall. Uh, and it, 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 it right down to the bottom barrel. So it was four racks up. So oh. I now know I've got a leaky barrel right at the top. Uh, it's the rum, Todd. The no. rum's leaking. So, so yeah, i got to pull it down and have a look and see, what, see what's going on. And the other week, uh, and this is sort of right up your alley, Peter. I had a, I filled a barrel. And it it just started to leak and then settle down and leak and it, it just it wouldn't settle down and of course we we had a lot of storms coming through and so you know that was putting a lot of pressure on the barrels so I ended up um, making up the meal which you use to you know you can you can block a hole uh, to a point with a bit of beeswax or whatever but I was too lazy to pull the barrel down so I, I pushed it in. And then I actually just taped over it to hold it into place until it actually set and went hard. Um, it worked. Yep. The barrel didn't leak. So it's not, it's not the world's most pretty barrel anymore. It's but... Not the world's most prettiest barrel. You, you don't like <laughs> barrels with tape on, but hey, it worked. So. Now I've got a, I've got a few very ugly barrels around here that have got ex, extra hoops around them and yeah, bits of pieces welded onto the hoops to hold them together. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you do your own uh, flaming and and uh, recoupering of the barrels, or is it just flaming and charring? I uh, just flame and char them. Yeah, I have, I have yeah. pulled them totally to bits. Just only a very few when there's a dodgy stave and and replaced it. But um, yeah, mainly it's only you pull the heads out, flame them, scrape them, and put them back together again. Nothing like a barbecue. Oh, no, I just love the smell of it. Yeah, the, the flames okay. are nice. But when it goes out, the um, after a couple of minutes after the smoke stopped coming out of the things, the smells coming out of the things are just so beautiful. Yeah, mm. they're like carrot cake and um, you know, Christmas puddings, and oh, magnificent. Yeah, no, we've had a question come in here from uh, uh, Linton. Uh, just running around checking barrels and record keeping. Are you gen I can gents? answer this one for Craftworks. Uh, trusty paper record or electronic? <laughs> or more to the point, do you have a record? Yeah, so, so firstly, it's trusty paper. Right. Okay. We we use a we 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 use the paper system and there's an ongoing fight to try and get a certain individual in the room to move over to electronic so that we can all have a that'd be the one <laughs> there's something that does, you there's something that doesn't feel like right about having the computer in the distillery and entering numbers yeah, in an excel spreadsheet I, I prefer a sheet where i record everything and then I'll do it later on, but I prefer just the sheet to record everything. Um, that just seem to connect more. What do you do, Peter? Yeah, yeah. No, look, all the day, all the daily run sheets are all all on paper. Yeah, huge pile of paper. Now I don't have any reams of paper must have gone through over the years. And then, um, then that, they get gradually get put put into into Excel spreadsheets. 
Um, right. I really wish I'd had a you know, proper proper still house record keeping system, but I still like the paper ones because you can just walk over the desk and just jot, jot something down. You don't have to start the computer up and it's gone to sleep and things like that. Yeah, yeah I still like like Good the paper point. ones better. That um, you're trying to look stuff up in you know, years, years and years later. Yeah, trying to sort through the papers is a pain in the bum. Whereas, um, you know, the reasonable spreadsheet, you know, it's a lot, lot easier to find stuff. Mm, and and yeah. I and my record keeping, my my um, it, it's there's a lot of work in the record keeping here. You know, if I was making single malt and that was it, that'd be quite simple compared to what I do. You know, we do a lot of a lot of different products. We had a lot of leftovers of fours and faints and a lot of, you know, part runs that won't quite fit into a barrel with bits of spirit and yep. yeah huge so the, the record keeping's uh an absolute nightmare but it yeah it's all on paper uh, not easy to find sometimes though unless it's once we get into the computer it gets a bit easier yeah. that, raises and, a good, uh, that raises a good point though if, if you're if you're producing for other people then yeah you're creating fours and faints specific to their, their so then you've got to manage that uh, within your your system, so yeah, that'd be a nightmare, absolute nightmare. It's hard enough when when I deviate from a from a mash bill into another mash bill, and we've got to start keeping pores and paints separate. It's very painful. Yeah, well, those those pores and paints, we just got so many of them from our own stuff and, and doing work for other people. That um, um, here a couple of months ago, we saw damn this, so we grabbed all the pores and paints that we thought we're never going to use these. Chucked them all in the still and did a spirit run out of the whole lot of them. Yeah. There, was, there, was, there was brandy and apple and ginger and and um, you know a bit of coffee and all sorts of things. They all just went into the still and yeah, we've now, we've now got a got a uh, about a two hundred liter barrel there of Frankenstein. So it's, um, yeah, Future release. Yeah, so it's that's interesting. Oh, lovely! Yes, yeah, yeah. I've sold one bottle of it the other day to somebody who tried a few of my little odd blends I'd done before about the odds and ends, and um, yeah, the, the report I got back was lovely. They really liked it. I actually love it with orange juice with it. It's it's not aged. It's got a bit of aged stuff in it, um, but it, it's certainly not aged. And most of it's new make, but it's just a clear. Yeah. It's been some of it's been in a ruby port barrel, so it's very red, um, mm. but no 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 uh, length of age on it. But no, it's a it's a lovely mixer, I think. But yeah, some of the people have tried it, like, like it like it is. But I, I just love it with a bit of orange juice. Isn't it amazing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Challenges. Can anyone yeah. Frankenstein? But yeah, we had. Can you see that? See the colour? Uh, well, I can see it's dark. Yeah, All right. so that's, I mean, that's um. Hold it up again. Hold it up. So that's mountain, snowy mountains. That's the pericast. Oh, yep. Beautiful color. Wow. Beautiful color. Mm. And, and uh, 60, this one's 60.4%. So uh, not mucking around. And no, it's, uh, very good. Anyway, sorry. Um, we actually got a question from Snowy Mountain Spirits. Mark himself, uh, how often do you reuse your barrels? Good question. Yeah, okay, I'll have a go first. Um, until they stop producing colour, and then I refire them and off we go again. Um, I probably have some here that are, let's see, there's, there's a couple here that had a lot of use. There's, a, um, there's one just, just through the door here that's, that was, that was a, um, a bourbon barrel once upon a time. 
Uh, then I was cut down into a malt whiskey barrel. Right. And then um, then I aged an orange sour beer in it. And then I had a – no, no, I had a grappa in it, then an orange sour beer, and then an oat whiskey. Whoa. And I haven't touched it in all those times. It's still still producing flavour. Uh, but wow. other ones, you know, I'll, I'll have a maybe a, some, someone's malt whiskey barrel. Uh, I'll put the rye in it, and after you know, four or five years, it really hasn't picked up a lot of colour, hasn't done a lot. So when I tip that out, usually blend those with something else that's not all that reactive and um, blend them with something else in the barrel, I'll, I'll refire that. So just the whiskey barrels, I'll just refire them like, like, in, whoops, like there behind me there. And yep. um, th then we just, I don't touch them. I just fire them, put it back together again. The um, the wine barrels, so a lot, lot of them, especially red wines, have got tartar in them. So I'll, yep. I'll, re I'll fire them, then scrape the, all the tartar out because it comes out a lot easier, then then fire it again, give it a good toast and a, a bit of a, bit of a mm. um, you know, crackly char inside it and yeah, put them back together. But yeah, it'll be using quite a lot, long time. Just depends on the, you tell by the colour mostly. And, and partly by the flavour, if they, if it just comes out pale after quite a few years, or is it right? This one's not going to get reused as it is. We have to refire it. Mm. So, so you toast them and char them, or or do you just just flame them, char them? I just generally speaking, whiskey barrels just chuck a bit of paper in there and whoosh they go <laughs> until yeah, you hear yeah. them start to crackle nicely. Then you put it out and yeah, shut it back up again. Yeah. There's nothing nothing particularly scientific about it. Uh, although the other day I, I did a wine barrel and I um, I toasted that for a long time. I just yeah just had a gas gas torch in there and and didn't really set it on fire till right at the end. Just put a lot of heat into it because I've heard that just toasting the wood rather than charring it um, it produces some lovely flavours. Yeah, different different flavours. We've got a um, we're camping a camping event that we're doing in March um, down the Cavity Valley, which which is the local valley, spectacular. And Andrew Young, Youngy is uh, coming, and what we're going to get him to do on the Saturday night, when it's dark, is to break a barrel down and just do the whole flaming of a cask. And for those who haven't seen it, experienced it, as Peter's described, it's just such a visceral experience. You know, just the aromas, the, the, the mm. flame. It's incredible, isn't it? It's 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 something that people should experience. Yeah, I did some demonstrations at, in Melbourne at Top Shelf a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And um, you know, I borrowed a barrel from Starwood, and one of their older barrels, and um, I did five demos with it. And by the time the fifth one, there was flames licking out through the between the stage. It was <laughs> under the bin. I had flames there shooting way up in the air. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> that, that's cool. I am um, looking forward to seeing the flaming process. I think that's going to be quite amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's definitely something to see. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I'll comment on, uh, on on reuse of barrels because I've, I've just refilled just recently. I had some PX Oldwood Sherry casks, uh, and they've done three years odd um, and gone straight back into them because they've still got a lot of life left. You, you can tell they've got a lot of life, so they're worthwhile. And um, Andrew Young... So we use a fair few of uh, Andrew's casks, and he believes that he builds casks like uh, Formula One uh, engines. They're designed to go to a certain point, and that's it. They're finished. You don't use them again. And I disagree. I've had Youngy casks that we've, we've done it, we've pulled it out, and there's still a ton of life in. So it may not be an F1 engine, but it's definitely got a lot, lot life left in it, that's for sure. 
Yeah, just got to leave them in a bit longer because I think there's quite a few people have started to think that you know, second-use casks are uh, yeah, just, just reusing a cask, the same thing again, uh, with a bit of extra time on it. Yeah, that, that just that time for those chemical reactions to happen, yeah, it's just necessary. You know, you can put a really active cask, your yeah, F1 cask, and you know, get a lovely whiskey very, very quickly. Mm. But you can end up with an equally nice whiskey just reusing it, but you need to leave it quite a bit longer. And other things happen and you get different flavours out of it and different chemical yep. reactions happen. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, I think there's quite a few people now starting to think that actually second use casks are, um, yeah, that second use of your malt whiskey is, uh, yeah, it's working quite well. Give, Not second use of a rye cask. Oh well, yeah, well, I, I usually cha when I when I I usually change to something else. Right. Yeah, I probably only yeah, very few rye casks will go back into rye. Yeah, I just put something different in them. Mm. Okay. What about um, what about oats? Oats is something that distillers talk about. Um, I know Marty Pie is is looking at um, doing. Yeah, I know you got your oat whiskey. Yeah, actually. Yep. So, what's your experience with oats? Uh, just as a bug of a thing as rye to to try and try and mash and separate. Yeah. Right. Um, that probably not the viscosity is not quite as bad as as rye. Um, yeah, rye's got a terrible reputation for you know for just not being able to pump it, not move it. It's so so, so damn like olive oil. Um, mm. The oats is not quite as bad, but um, yeah, it's just as hard to separate the husk from it though. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's I I sort of vaguely say it's a little bit more like a malt whiskey than than a rye is. Rye is quite spicy and peppery, and the, and the oats yeah got got quite a lot more sweetness to it. And um, a lot of people say just that lovely porridge note, creme brulee. Um, yeah, it, it is, and it's very, very rare. There's, I don't know any many others in the world who do it. There's a Corsair in America that does an oat. I'm sure there are others, but um, they're the only other one I know that does oats. Yeah, it's not, it's not common. It's definitely not common. The yeah. the Irish are starting again. They the Irish whiskies used to be uh, a lot of oats way back. Right. That totally disappeared. So all the little craft distilleries over there in Ireland now they they're starting to work with oats. But um, yeah, Corsair is the only one that I I actually know of that's been at it for quite a while. Uh, so okay. just on that, have you malted your own oats uh, like you do the rye from uh, William? No, questions I, I have I use either barley or rye malt in it. Um, I had a bit of a go the other day at uh, malting it, and it and it will malt, but it, um, it it's a bit hard to stop it going musty. It takes a long time to malt. It rye's really quick. Mm -hmm. It only takes about three days, four days. Um, the oats was you know up to ten days I think before we started to get much sprouting in it, and in that time you, know, you get a lot of fungusy, mouldy things starting to grow in the husk. But um, I will I will persevere with it. Now, one of these days I'll try and do a hundred percent oat whiskey. I'd probably buy malted oats too. I don't know. I, I suppose they're probably out there somewhere. Sure, someone does. Let's um, let, let's talk about one I still can't get my head around. Kiss of a stranger. <laughs> tell yeah, us, tell us where the hell the idea came from, and and you did it overseas as well, didn't you? You went, did you go to France or something and, and yes. do it as well? Yeah. So tell, explain to everyone the whole story because okay, it's, it's, it's a legend now. <laughs> yeah, just I'll just grab the little bottle. <laughs> Can you still got all it. my questions? Yeah. Okay. So. 
So it all started, um, as I mentioned earlier, I hate waste. That's why I distill beer. I, I distill waste in the wine industry, all sorts of stuff. Um, I got invited up to Sydney to Rootstock, which in uh, Carriage Works, if those who are from Sydney. And um, they're all, it's a big wine event. There are winemakers from all over the world, and they're all natural winemakers, so they didn't use yeast. That was one of the big things, that they're all relied on the yeast that comes in with the grapes from their vineyards. Um, pretty well, all of them are organic or biodynamic. They hated waste. They look after their soil. That's why it was called rootstock. And uh, they invited me up there to show my whiskies uh, just to give some the people there just a different flavour. When they get sick of the wine, they want something to try. Ashley Huntington from down here, who does sour beers, and um, he was there as well. And anyway, there was a group of us doing a little session off to the side and we all, all the winemakers there told their story about what they did and I got round and told my story and I said, look, I just hate waste. I said, that that bucket in the middle of the room there, this spittoon that you've been spitting in and tipping your dregs into it, I said, if I took that home and distilled it and brought it back next year, who would drink it? And everybody in that session, I think their hands went up, yes. <laughs> so too late to do anything that year. So... So the next year we organised to um, collect all the spittoons and we announced what we are going to do and we got 600 litres. Oh. Those, those big wine events, you know, people go there and they want to try 20 or 30 wines uh, you know, out of a, probably 100. Yeah, that you, you can't drink much. Yeah, you, by the, <laughs> you just have poor a little sample, give a swirl and a sniff and a couple of tiny sips and spit and off you go and on to the next one. And... Um, we got 600 litres that year. We, um, I didn't want to haul it all about back here to Tasmania, so we found uh, Poor Tom's. They, they, they mainly make gin. They were, they were very close to the rootstock event. And uh, yeah. so we took it all around there, and I spent a couple of days with the guys there distilling it. And um, they were only used to making gin. I was only used to making whiskey, and I hadn't used a four-plate column like they had. But anyway, between us, we muddled our way through. And, and um, yeah, so we ended up with... Um, with, with this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, it was um, it was right when the that same-sex um, marriage and um, the other was a referendum on, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. It was, it was something like that, just right in the middle of that. So, they, they, so they, the bottles had a choice. There were two blokes kissing, two girls, or a, a male and a female kissing, so you could just pick which one you liked, the different labels. <laughs> Um, but then I did that two years in a row. So the second year up there, um, we only got 500 litres. So they must have been a, um, drank a bit more or a bit tighter with their paws or something. But anyway, got 500 litres, did it again. And um, we, we took, it, took it back to the, um, the, the, the event the next year and sold it back, basically sold it back to the people that spat it out. But yeah, it was very popular. <laughs> sold, sold a heap of it. And, and um it was we we didn't make any money out of it. We raised money, raised funds for an Aboriginal community to buy them some cooking gear. Oh right! And you think yeah. that that doesn't sound right? Selling alcohol to buy Aboriginals <laughs> to help them because unfortunately, poor old Aboriginals have a bit of um, trouble with with their alcohol. And but then, if you really think about it, this was made from the alcohol that people spat out. That they weren't drinking it for the alcohol; they're drinking it for the flavours and, and and the enjoyment, yeah. not. For it. So really, in, in a way, it's a it's a good good thing to do to promote not actually drinking, but just tasting. Mm. So um, anyway, that that went to the Aboriginal community, the funds that were funds that were raised. Um, then the next year, um, 
there's a there's a very similar event in France that um, goes around the country, and um, they got in touch with me and um, and asked if I wanted to go over there to an event in Paris and do the same thing. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll come over. You find me a distillery that will distill this stuff because I'm certainly not hauling that back to Tasmania. <laughs> and uh, eventually, eventually, it took a while. They eventually found one that was 600 kilometres south of Paris that said, "Yep, we'll do it." And um, yeah, so we. Uh, yeah, yeah, we we got we got another six hundred litres from that event, and um, yeah, the guy that were, that had the distillery, he drove all night back to his distillery, and I caught the fast train down the next morning, and, yeah, and and we distilled it, and um, so we ended up with uh, oh gee, this thing's back to front, isn't it? Oh wow, yeah, uh, French kissing a stranger. French kissing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. That's great. <laughs> what, does it, what does it taste like, Peter? Oh, it, it, it's an O to V. So oh, okay. It, it, yeah, it's. I, I was interviewed by the ABC here in Hobart. I've a lot of lot of interviews all around the world about it. But um, one in Hobart um, went in the studio, and and the, the the lady there running the show said, "Oh, what's it taste like?" And I sort of tried to describe these lovely fruity notes. And I said, oh, "It's got great mouthfeel." And she backed <laughs> because that wasn't really what I meant. But the, the spit, but the, you know, it's, it's got texture. I'm sure it's much less alive. Oh, that's brilliant! Just... <laughs> I mean, I that that's, that's all, all I got. All I got here. So it's uh, oh it's, no, that's a little bit of the French one. Yeah, we, we sold it all. So um, yeah, people we will buy anything. Okay, what's the story with the penguin shit? Remember that penguin story? Shit? No. Antarctica? Penguin shit. Hey? Ice. Yeah, no, that's all, all on, um, yeah, it's still not, not, not released yet. They're all a bit quiet oh. at the moment. <laughs> oh, okay. Shut Sorry. up, crap. Sorry. Oh. I'm going to go check my still. Guys, can you talk to Peter? I just got to go check my still. <laughs> so you have... So for those that want to know, Crafty's doing a, um, his low wines run, and he's got a little bit more than the still can handle, so he's topping it up as we go. So, that was years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so now it's, so it's I was time about to say, um, all right, go Todd. Off you go. No, we gotta, we gotta, no, 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 no. We don't just go, go Todd. We go. Oh, yeah, we we go, normally Todd. have sound effects, but we don't have sound effects. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the studio. I know. We don't have go. sound effects. So we just go. Drum roll. Go, Todd, go. Puts me on the spot like this every time. <laughs> Okay, so I've got, I've got a couple of questions, but the first question, because I probably won't get away with it too many more times, is I want to I've got a question for Crafty. Oh. Oh. Okay. Right, well. So when you're doing your mash, what is one of the more important things to make sure is in your mash ton? And what happens when you forget to put this item in your mash ton? Peter, do you know what happened to me last week? Yeah, louder screen, you forgot to put in it, did you? Hey. Sorry? You forgot to put the louder screen in? Yep, because I was I was trying to be too clever. I was um, I had a lot of phone calls coming in and I had to make a lot of phone calls, so I put a headset on and I I had the still running and I was trying to mill mash, try to do the whole shebang. And um, I thought I was doing all right until it wouldn't pump 
I couldn't get anything out of the ton. And then I was just grain everywhere. And then I worked out what it was. So I had to had to drain the liquid. And I couldn't drain the liquid because it kept sucking the grain up. So in the end, I had a 12, 12 mil like garden hose or for pump. And I had a hop basket, which I buried into the into the grain. So it was just liquid. Oh, and yeah. I was sucking the liquid out. Oh, dear. 700 litres. It took forever. I had Then I had to take the wet grain out. Then I had to clean it. Then I had to put the screen back in. Then I had to put the grain back in. Then I had to level the grain. Then I had to put the fluid back in. It was rookie mistake number one. But 4.30 in the morning, we had it solved. Oh, dear. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a question, Todd. That's putting me on the spot and embarrassing. <laughs> now you know how I feel. <laughs> so... In all honesty, the reason why I raised that is because that was actually a major step change for Craftworks Distillery. Two years wow. ago, two years ago, Crafty would not have been able to come up with a solution to fix the issue that he had he had made himself. And it's a big step that he was able to work through the problem and find a usable solution to that problem and actually get it working. So. I don't know. Maybe that should be a Eureka re release or something crafty. Yeah, right. Okay. So what's the what, question what, for Peter? What, what, what volume of mash are you doing? Sorry? How many liters? Um, so 200, 250 kilos of grain, 750 kilos of water. Right. So making making about 900 liters while I work. Yep. Mind you, today I made 1,100. It's a pain in the ass because I can't get it in the still. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, done that a few good. times. It, yeah, when up end up a bit too much, yeah, like we like you were just doing then. We just keep topping it up a little bit now and again as you go as the, as the level drops. Yeah, yeah, that that's the sort of thing you just learn as you go along. Um, actually, just before you go on, I'll, I'll say one of one of the biggest learnings for me and Todd. You know this because uh, it's exactly the same. And I'd be very interested to hear what, what your thoughts are, Peter. When you taste something in a barrel, you go, okay, this is how it tastes. When you pull it out of the barrel and you put it into a receiver, it changes. When you break it down with water, it changes. When you put it in the bottle, it changes. So... When you're tasting something originally in the barrel and going, okay, it's time to pull it out of the barrel, there's so many steps, there's so many changes that you don't really know until you actually get it in the bottle. And it's only experience that, that tells you that. Do you find the same thing? Is, is Was that a learning for you at first? Yeah, we we tend to, most most of our whiskies, we blend quite a few different barrels together. So what, what one barrel just tastes like, that's not what's going to end up in the bottle. Though, though we do have a few now and again that um, yeah. you know, the barrel's really good, so that'll go straight in. But, yeah, no, they, they certainly change. And one of, the, one of the biggest changes, I think, is when you, when we add the water. Yeah. And, and uh, that changes a lot. And, and we, we dilute to where it tastes best. We don't dilute to a particular ABV. Yep. Um, they do tend to turn out round about the same, but it's very... Um, Big, big difference in flavour with a tiny bit of extra water. Um, yeah, so we don't we certainly don't shoot for a, an, an ABV. We just shoot for a flavour. Well, where it tastes the best, where it hits that sweet spot. 
Now, if you go past that, it just tastes start tastes a bit watery and a bit weak, and um, yep. and uh, yeah, it just hits that spot where all the flavours tend to come out. But um, then we'll we'll bat it for a while and leave it in the bat for quite a while, and then you know it certainly changes in the bat. Yep. Yeah, every time you lift the lid on the bat, you know a bit of fumes come out and it changes every time. No, I agree. Todd, sorry, I, I sort of jumped in there over your question. What was your question for Peter? Well, that, that was one of them. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like well, mine. Like mine. <laughs> so, so, Peter, obviously you, you, you experiment with a lot of different things and um, you know, Kiss of a Stranger is one of those things. Um, where do you get your inspiration from to, to come up with these or is it just a bit of a let's have a crack and see what happens yeah yeah, yeah just have a crack and see what happens i you know, um i do a lot of a lot of come up a lot of ideas when i'm in the shower in the morning it's amazing it's the best you know, just automatic my brain just wanders and and um you come up with all sorts of ideas um oh, i've got dozens of them but you know i just got you know i just got so many you know so many things there already that um yeah mm. that's just a few of them what i've got so um well. I just sort of got to say, no, 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 I can't do that. Can't do that. Um, yeah, just too, too many ideas to have. But I, I just love being creative. I, I get bored very easily. I like change all the time, you know, change flavours, change of stuff I eat, change of work I do. I like change all the time. I just cannot stand routine. And to me, just make it, making malt whiskey would be too much routine for me. I, I, I get to get sick of it. Um, yeah, that's why I just yeah, get sick of something. Oh, what else can I do? Then um, come up with something else and... And every now and then, there's odd, odd things I've dropped off that I don't bother doing anymore. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, I just love experimenting and playing and, and just being creative and working with my hands. So that's why I keep keep experimenting. But I, I don't know where they come from. They're just all of a sudden I think, oh, I might, might give that a go. Yeah, I've got a couple other things I want to have a go at yet. But, yeah, whether I'll get round to it or not, I don't know. And uh, of your vast catalogue, that catalogue of product that you've got behind you there, and obviously that's only a small portion of it. What are you most proud of? Um, is there one that you can pick that is, that's the one that I love the most? Oh, see, we're well, on the same. Yeah, I think the peated rye. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah my, was... my, flavor, my flavor changes. You know, I, I like different things at different times of the day. But I, I think the one that um, yeah, I'm most proud of is uh, yeah, the peated rye that I, I sent to Jim Murray. And um, where is it? There, just right on top of my head. Oops. Uh, 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 there. That, <laughs> that's a, um, got Southern Hemisphere Whiskey of the Year. Yeah, and and I, 90, 96 out of 100 with Jim Murray. And I think wow. it, was 90, it was only half a point below the highest he's ever, ever scored anything. And so that's probably my proudest, proudest bit. But yeah, there's a lot of things I, you know, I've, um, I have, it makes me feel good. You know, just like the kissing a stranger, you know, it, it attracted a lot of attention. You know, the holy mm. shit. And, um, oh, the holy Gordon shit. Rand yeah, yeah. That's a good story. <laughs> yeah. So, um, tell the holy shit story for those who <laughs> <Yep>. don't know. <laughs> so, Gordon, Gordon Ramsay, he came here and I had him shoveling shit. So, um, yeah, um, we burnt it to smoke the grain to make the holy shit whiskey. Was he an asshole wow. or a nice guy? 
Ah, nice was play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all, nice that, all that arsehole stuff's just a show, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Holy shit. I mean, that just the names alone, Kiss of a Stranger, uh, holy shit. They're, they're very creative. You know, the product's creative, but the but the the name and, and, and the story behind it is incredibly creative. So you, you must get a kick out of that as well. Yeah, see, I, I don't think, always think of all the names, but um, yeah, certainly the whole of shit that was that was my name. But when I told my family I was going to make whiskey smoke with sheep shit, they said, "Don't you dare! That's disgusting." Same as the spoons, but um, no, no, great. What was the inspiration behind that? The holy shit! Look, yeah. I, I look. I'm not really sure, but um, I've got a, uh, a bit of a short memory sometimes. That there's a, um, I think. I heard about it in um, in, in Iceland. There's um, there's a distillery there, the Floki whiskey, that, that they uh, they they smoke there for sheep shit. And I think that's where I got the idea from. I don't think uh, it was my original idea. Right, Floki whiskey. Oh. Yep. Sure. Sure. I've got a bottle of it here, but it's uh, I don't. I wish I could get a hold of the, the malt whiskey, but this is a, a young malt. It was smoked with with sheep dung and. Um, yeah, it's not not my favourite by any means, but um, I I'll try to try and get one of their aged ones one day. But uh, the moment I can't, or my, my I should send them a bottle of mine and get, do a trade with them, maybe. Absolutely. Well, they've got a their bottle looks amazing, from what I can see. Oh, you put the website. Yeah, the website there. there. Yeah, cool. Going international all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you oh, go. Oh, yes, I've seen oh, that. Yeah. I've seen Gorgeous. Awesome. Yeah, that's nice. That's cool. Sheep dung smoked. It actually says <laughs> it on the bottle. Yep. Wow. Well, I reckon. I reckon that's where I got the, got the idea from. But I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it wasn't an original idea of mine. But it's more more names I got here for you. This um. So I suppose um, a lot of most of listeners here would have heard of the Nant barrel investment scheme that went belly up um i ended up I with, have, with, I have. with my son and some other yes crafty yes um some other investors we ended up ended up buying a lot of the barrels from the investors who were basically left stranded and uh because there were there were a lot of barrels that were filled there were a lot very, a lot of empty ones but a, a lot a lot that were filled but then they couldn't get a reasonable price for them so um i stepped in and helped buy, buy out a lot of the barrels so we've got there's more creative names. There's um, this is our first release. We read that, can't we? The light's wrong. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, the scoundrel. The scoundrel. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's in relation to the, the the guy whose name's blacked out on the on the back there. The, the legal <laughs> reason. I'm gonna show you something. Keep scoundrel. Uh, don't crafty. Then then he then he did a runner. So uh, fly by night, <laughs> fly by you, night. You get, a, get a runner, and the yeah. the next release which we're just releasing right now is um he, he went on and had a cattle investment scheme. He's selling Angus cattle with a nine and a half percent compound. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he he went on selling cattle and um with a nine and a half percent compounding the the the, the they just vanished. So um, the the, new, the newest release has just come out right now. It's called Heard Not Seen. Oh. <laughs> you can play that. You can play with that for years, Peter. 
the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it's not. And I'm not. So. Yeah, I've got I've got one of the investors that helps me with these things. He, he's he's fantastic with names. These are all his his <laughs> names, Phil. But uh, yeah, comes up with some great names. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah, no, it's so uh, going going back a little bit to uh, earlier on. You were talking about your love of meeting people and and knowing the community and knowing the punters and whatnot. Completely randomly. I went to a, uh, a timber mill here in, Sid uh, in Sydney uh, to find some, some nice timber to use for my, for my bar, to display all my bottles on. And I ended up uh, at, uh, at uh, Swadlings um, in, uh, in Marrickville. And I got some beautiful spotted gum, three planks of that, lovely. And I was, the guys there were asking me, what are you going to do with this, with this water? So I'm going to make it a bar going to be the feature behind behind me when I'm doing my podcast about whiskey. I said, oh, we all like whiskey. So we got talking about, of course, whiskey. It is the, uh, the great uh, conversation starter. And uh, the bloke I was chatting to said, oh, I did a tour around Tassie a few years ago. And there was this one distillery that I went to. Brilliant. Absolutely loved it. The bloke was just... He was such a lovely guy. The whiskey was amazing. Can't remember what, who he was or what it was called, but I'm going to give me your email. I'm going to tell you who it was because it was fucking brilliant. A couple of days later, I get an email from him and it's Peter Bignall, Belgrade whiskey. <laughs> Thought you might have been going to say over him or something. <laughs> <laughs> So you make an impression on people. Uh, do you do you get those sort of comments coming in from around the world of, of people that have said, "Oh, a mate told me about you," and uh, someone said, "I need to come and, and see Belgrove." Uh, is that is that common? Do you find a little bit of celebrity there, or? Yeah, I, look, I don't. I, I certainly don't set out to be. I just love talking to people and and um, yeah. Yeah, enjoy what I do, and it may just express that enthusiasm, maybe. But, because um, yeah, there's somebody I'm making some whiskey here for that was uh, wanted to sell it in the UK. Um, yeah, put you know some um, yeah pretty expensive whiskey that uh, special whiskey that, he, that I'm making for him. And anyway, he he got in touch with these people in the UK to find out how how to sell it. And they said, oh, a big part of what you're trying to sell, you've got to have a reputable maker. And he said, and he asked who it was. And he said, "Oh, Peter Beagle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's he's good. He's good. He'll he, he's got the the name out there. So <laughs> there was any. I no idea who it was, but um, yeah, he, he knew me. That must be a very odd thing to have people around the world recognizing and um, appreciating your name uh, in the industry." Uh, yeah, just every now and again, I, 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 yeah, yeah, it is amazing. I, I, every now and I go sit back and think, how the hell did I get to where I, I am now? And I, I don't really, like I said, I don't really set out to do it. I set out to enjoy myself more than anything. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've done some, yeah, some odd, odd things in, in my time. You know, just gone off at a tangent. Like, um, yeah, I went to. Um, I met a guy down in, in Hobart Waterfront one winter festival down here and he was doing ice carving. And three months oh, later, yeah. I, said, 
I was in Russia with him. We were ice, ice carving in an international competition. <laughs> That's the right. same person. So I just, yeah, bugger it, I'm going to have a go at that. <laughs> and that we, even, we even won one of the prizes, and I hadn't sculpted ice until three months wow. before. <laughs> I'd done sand so sculpting. That's interesting. That question came in from Mark at Snowy River, yeah. uh, Snowy Mountain. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Yep, there we go. How does that yeah. fit in? There you go. And you, yeah, the, well, way you, the way you mention it, though, you sort of just bolted on in conversation sometimes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm a whiskey maker. Da, 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 da. Oh, but I'm an ice, ice sculpture as well. Oh, here's some work <laughs> that I've done. And you look at it and go, what the hell? <laughs> so yeah. you're yeah, creative. Like, you're creative across like different said. platforms. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, I get bored, and I just yeah, yeah. find things to do that are different, and, and I don't like just doing run-of-the-mill stuff. You know, when I started, there weren't many people making whiskey, and and there certainly weren't wasn't anybody else in Australia making rye whiskey. So okay, I've got to do something different, and um, and it, it just that you know anybody who's starting to now to make malt whiskey, but how the hell are they going to stick their head above the water and you know somebody notice them? It, it's going to be hard. So you've got to do well, something different. Is there anyone? Is there anyone doing uh, rye whiskey? Anybody else in Australia doing rye whiskey that you've got your eye on? Um, oh, oh, the guys are backwards. They 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 seem yeah, to Lee Atwood and Co. head up a lot. A lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and uh, to them in the past. Uh, sorry, the, we lost a bit of gurgly there for a minute. The signal wasn't good enough. He said we had Lee on on an earlier one. Um, oh, yes. But, but, uh, Cam Symes. Cam, Cam's doing rye, isn't he? Yes. Rye the Tiger? Yep. yep. Yeah, I didn't, yep. didn't know he was because I was still advertising myself as the only rye whiskey distillery in Australia. And uh, we're at an event in <laughs> Melbourne somewhere and he said, oh, I've got some rye. And I said, oh, you should have told me. <laughs> I got the text out and scribbled out the only, I mean, um, yeah, scribbled out the only on the big banner and put first. <laughs> <laughs> so we just had another question come through as well sorry um william wanting to know a little bit more about your continuous stripping still yes yeah that's um we sort of vaguely touched on this earlier with a little 10 liter urn and one kilowatt one mm. that um that, that i built uh, it's extremely energy efficient it um it's the, the well the little the little urn one is just a uh, it's just a little one or it might be one and a half kilowatt urn uh, with a lid on it and and a, a bit of pipe coming out the top of it with with baffles in it and they're only baffles that sort of run three quarters away across nothing fancy like bubble plates or anything like that and um, as uh, you put a bit a little bit of whatever beer or wine or whatever in the in the boiler and um, the steam goes up through the, the this copper copper tube with the baffles in it comes out through a condenser and the condensers are tube in tube so it's not not like a shotgun condenser there's just one tube inside another so the steam goes down the middle tube and you've got coolant going the opposite way in the other tube and um but the coolant is the, the feed for the still because uh, you know you only you only put a in the urn i only put a couple of inches of um the feed in there and then it's got to keep topping it up and um so that the wine i usually use it for wine mainly for brandy making so the wine is coming through the condenser in the opposite direction to the steam. So if you pump it through really slowly, by the time it's um, at the other end of the the, um, the condenser, it's almost at boiling point. And that drops into the top of this column and splashes down through the 
through the baffles and uh, the steam coming up through it pick, picks up all the volatiles, all the alcohol and all the flavour uh, volatiles and off it goes yeah. back down through the condenser again. And, and it's just, um, once it's going, um, you can turn it way, way down because um, it's all preheated. They're almost boiling point. And then yeah. we do have some overflow pot ale out at the end, of course, and um, yeah, I use put that through another heat exchanger and make hot water. So I originally made a little one and then I, then I built a much, much bigger one that... Um, That'll do do about two two thousand liters in a day, but it uses uh, it runs runs on the bigger one runs on chip oil. But, um, it, uh, wow. it it uses bugger all oil. In fact, when once it's going, we've got to turn the burner down so far the casing goes out. When it um, if we uh, get a puff of wind and the, the burner goes out, I can actually um, probably it's not a lot to see, but I can I'll pull the plug out of this thing and probably show it to you. Hope we don't Ooh. lose our signal here. No, no, yep, you're there, it's still there. Oh, there, there it is. Yeah, oh, so okay. there's most most of that is just a pot um, with yeah, a yeah. Um, a firebox, and that that bit of copper front there, that's just a uh, where I just an inspection hole really, so I can see what's going on in there. I did show Crafty going one night, it was bubbling away in there. It's just that that. Um, what looks like a tiny piece of copper still is really just to break up the foam that would have was otherwise shooting up the column. So there's the column that right. goes up there. It's insulated. And if I can work out which way to turn this thing around. Whoops, going the wrong way. Yeah, the column goes up there. There's a um, vacuum pressure brake there that's made out of an old uh, fire extinguisher. So if we get it over pressure, it blows the water outside. Or if it sucks air in, if it, um, it creates a vacuum in there just for safety. And then the condenser runs right along the wall, and then right down the other end, we've got an IBC there that we catch all the uh, the, the um, condensate in it. Hmm. And really, really, this part this part here is only a steam boiler that, that produces steam from the, um, the from the wine that's had all the alcohol stripped out of it. So anything that's in that boiler is actually, um, you know, probably only one one percent alcohol. So hmm. it's. Uh, it's really only just a steam boiler, so the distill itself's right up in the roof there, in the inside inside the condenser pipes. Wow! So and that's all your own design. Uh, sorry. That's all your own design and and construction. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the principle wow. the principle of it's not mine. Yeah, that's a nice copy of that Irish fella who invented continuous distillation. That was him, and all. I think there's a bit of argument who actually invented it, but. That's just the principle of it, says, but it's yes, it's my my design, yeah. Hmm. Wow. And that's a lot of them um, extract the heat from the overflow from the pot, but I get the heat from. I found it's just more convenient to get the the heat heat from the condenser. So the hmm. there's no there's no hot water condenser that we no water we waste hot water we waste and drop down the drain from the condenser water and the pot aisle we we. Um, re retrieve most of the heat from that and just make our hot, hot water for mashing or, or washing up. Wow. That's it, it's, <laughs> it's so logical. Yeah, and it's actually pretty really logical. It's another thing to actually apply yeah. you know, and, and build <laughs> It's so logical, but to put it into practice yeah. uh, is, is quite amazing. Yeah, well, it's it's extremely simple. You know, a lot of people think it's just very difficult and very hard to do, but it, it, it's very very simple. Uh, I I think it is anyway. Um, and I and it's, actually I can control control the whole thing from the phone. I can turn it oh, on wow. and off and 
phone. You brought technology onto it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's all very, very simple technology too. Very simple. They, um, yeah. I've, I've just bought some, bought some more little controllers today and they're 12 bucks each. Right. And, and what sort of controllers they, do you use? Um, the, oh, there's a PID controller. Oh, I think oh, that was 15 bucks. Um, okay. And then what, oh, washing machine valves. Uh, the, you have to $2 from the tip shop. Um, yeah. And then there's... Um, oh, crikey, what are the phone ones called? Um, no, 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 my mind's just gone blank. These little controllers that, that, that the phones control. Just, just yeah, PIDs. Wow, okay. Oh, the, well, the little PID, that's controlling the temperature. Yeah. These other little things are just on-off switches, so you can put thermostats on or just turn things on and off with your phone and timers on. Um, all good. Yeah, the right. PID controls the brains of it, really, that it, um, it keeps the flow through the pipes, um, feeding the still so that the temperature is correct when it goes into the still. Mm. Yeah, it just, just controls it so it's right on boiling point just as it enters the top of the column. Right. The nerd in me just loves that. I know. <laughs> one, Automation. One hour, just... one hour, 17 minutes. We're now going to start to nerd out for the next two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'll refrain. I'll refrain. <laughs> before, we, before we go any further, I've just had a um, a friend who's popped into the shed. So I'd just like to show his face. Oh, no. Davey Boy. Davey Boy. That's him. So Davey Boy is a good friend of, of mine. Up. He's a brewer. Um, they are now moving into... Just get a couple of a couple of signatures, you know, couple couple of different gins. But um, Pete, you, you'll you'll love this. So Davey Boy and I uh, collaborate. So some of my um, the casks when I finish with them, Dave takes them away and, and uh, makes beer, and then I get them back, and then I I fill them with whiskey. Yeah. Um, but he's also done a, a cider as well, haven't you? A cider and uh, no ginger beer. Ginger beer, sorry, ginger beer. Ginger beer. So this is very, very much what's going on uh, a lot in Australia. And, and Peter, you, you, you totally agree with this. Just this collaboration across uh, brewers and wineries and, and others. There, there's so much opportunity to do things and, and, and really push the envelope. Yeah, yeah. I must. I get. I get quite a few barrels from Marilla. You know, from Mona. The, the, the guy. Yeah. The, yeah. The, um, yeah, the Museum. They got a. Um, couple of vineyards and um, I'll get a quite a few barrels to them. I must have another chat to them one day and yeah, see if they want a whiskey barrel to aid some of their wine in just to be interesting. That, that might be a little mm. bit over the top for them to know. They need to be more adventurous now. <laughs> All right, guys, I think we need to wrap it up. We're at one minute 20. So unless there's any final questions, we'll just take some final comments. Um, I'd just like to say, Peter, it's been an honour. It's so good to have you on yes, Shooting the Shit. Fantastic. You know what Shooting the Shit's about, and this is exactly what we're doing. Um, and, yeah, it's really, really good. I look forward to catching up with you again face-to-face -face and actually having a drink. And uh, the uh, yep. Bogan burnout, I might leave that right to the end of the night, I think. It's... <laughs> it's uh... <laughs> but you'll be going straight for kissing a stranger. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah, the, the bogan burnout we'll be releasing that fairly soon i'm trying to go get the guys at oak, oak barrel to um 
Oh, no, that's a French kissing a stranger. Where'd the bargain burn out get to? I love that. <laughs> yeah, there it is. It's not, that's not the final label. I just it's the original one that was there. Yeah, that was pretty nasty, that one. Yeah, yeah. Burn out. Yeah. I've got proper labels for it now. But, um, I don't know whether to recommend people have that last thing at night or not because you'll be tasting it still the next morning. Yes. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you need a few chases to have it early on and have a few chases to get rid of it because it, is, it really hangs on there. They need, they, need to, they need to reinvent a toothpaste that can combat bogan burnout because your normal toothpaste doesn't cut the mustard, I can tell you. All right. Yeah, no, if, if anybody wonders what Bogan Burnout is, if you hadn't heard of it, yeah, it's my attempt at making the smokiest whiskey in the world. And uh, she, she's way up there. It is well up there. I think it's, I, I haven't tasted any of that anywhere near it. It's a single wow. malt, it's a, it's a malt whiskey. And um, we've, we've got a lot of it pack, packed up into 250 mil bottles because I don't reckon many people can handle a 500 mil. <laughs> Probably It'll be popular idea. because there'll be people that'll just want to. It reminds me of the when Octomore One came out and Arbeg uh, Supernova came out, and it was like the toe to toe who had the peatiest, smokiest whiskey in the world. It was, it was a competition. If if you were there when they were doing that, <laughs> it would <laughs> be very interesting. Yeah, I think it blew them out of the water. <laughs> I think they would have turned around and gone, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, I'm finished. Luke, Todd, do you want to say anything else? No, all good. You're all good. That was a great session. I'll certainly ask everyone, please uh, subscribe if you are on uh, watching us on YouTube. Uh, Definitely follow on Facebook. Uh, We've got some other great guests coming up uh, in the the next few weeks. Uh, Who's coming up in two weeks? uh, In two weeks, we have... Westland. Westland. Westland, USA. US. It'll be a very late, very late session. I think it's like 10 p.m. or something. Yeah, uh, we've finally negotiated. Yeah, so about 10 p.m. So two weeks' time, December 1st or 2nd. Um, I'll put out the link as soon as we yep. can. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, yep. that's going to be Westland. And we've got a fantastic lineup for, uh, I think, we do we have one more in December Towards the end of December, crafty. Uh, yeah, the and grand, the grand finish with the Santa Claus of Australian whiskey, Mr. Bill Lark. That's our Ooh. that's our grand finale for the for the year. So that's a decent finisher. Uh, and then definitely we've got a full lineup into the new year. So please subscribe, uh, follow on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, hit the buttons, um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to having you all on board. Uh, yeah. For the ride, it's been great. We're happy to be back. Yep, no, Thank thanks very much. Yeah, had great fun tonight. Thanks. We kept it to time by the look of it. I think the last one of these did went dragged on for four hours. <laughs> we no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, your one did. Yeah, your one did. <laughs> yeah, I don't, when, what, what was that? A few weeks ago, we did one and on and on and on. <laughs> it's still good fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we like to just cut it off, hit, hit the peak and cut it off. Get done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye then. Wonderful. Thank you all. I'm going to end the broadcast right now. Thanks everyone for watching. Cheers. Thanks.